0: Our text for the morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, I'm sure you recognize as one of the most familiar verses in all the Bible, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. A text often quoted to urge Christians to faithfully take in the word of God and often cited with particular reference to new Christians, to those who are spiritual babes in Christ. A wonderful text. Like so many texts in God's Word, there is a little bit more than meets the eye. And we are going to see in this verse today, these two verses, that the believer must take responsibility for his own spiritual growth and development. And furthermore, we shall see that as we give ourselves to the Word of God, We shall meet with Christ in his word. And that ought to be vitally important. It will be very important to every true child of God. Let me approach our text today in the following four areas. First, a brief overview. Number two, an analogy. Third, a command. And number four, a reason for the command. An overview. May I remind you that verses 1 through 3 are all one sentence in the Greek language. So when we took just verse 1, last Lord's Day, we were just taking a portion of this sentence. In these three verses, we see, number one, something to put off, the sins listed in verse 1. Number two, something to desire, namely the pure milk of God's word. And then thirdly, some reasons for doing so, which take up the last part of verse 2 and all of verse 3. I remind you that in order to benefit from the Word of God, we must first deal with sin. And that's why Peter puts it in this order. There are some things that we must put off. We must get some things out of our lives if we are going to be able to benefit from the intake of God's Word. And if we will not deal with sin, then we will not receive great benefit from God's Word And I'm sure that many of God's children have a great deal of the Word of God and the subsequent blessings of God blocked in their lives because of sins which they know are there but are unwilling to deal with radically. The main verse of this three-verse sentence is in verse 2. It is the word desire. It is an imperative. It is a command. Everything else centers around this. As newborn babes, desire, that's a command. That's an instruction. That's something that we are to do. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Furthermore, we see that in this structure, Peter uses simile. He uses comparison, which is constructed by use of the word like or as. Here in the English, it is as. And it is to remind us that Peter is setting up an analogy an illustration, a comparison. And we need to understand what that analogy is if we are going to properly understand what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter is saying to us in this text. You might have expected that after Peter gave us some things to put off in verse 1 that he would follow it up with some things to put on in verse 2. Paul does that on many occasions, doesn't he? Put off, put on, put off, put on. Put these things off, put these things on. We looked at some of those texts last Sunday. But interestingly, what Peter does is gives us some things to put off, and then he says, take in the Word of God. Again, because you can't really benefit from the Word of God until you put sin out of your life, but also because what we put on is the Word of God, and God's Word is the manual, the instruction for all the things that we are to put on. But we can't put them on till we put something off. So put off these sins and others as well, besides the ones that are named in verse 1, and then drink in the word of God. That will tell you what to put on. That will enable you to put on the things that need to be put on once your sins have been dealt with. So that's the overview. Now let's look at this analogy. It has to do with two things closely related, number one, newborn babes, and number two, milk. And we get the connection immediately, don't we? Christians are here compared in some way to newborn babes. The Greek word is brephos. Initially, that was the Greek word for an embryo, still in the mother's womb. But later it came to be used of recently born infants, a newborn baby, and even later in development, came to be used for a small child. So the question is, which of these different usages does Peter have in mind? But the adjective makes it clear that it is the second one. He doesn't just say babes, brephos, but he says newborn babes. And because of the adjective, we know that he's talking about recently born infants. Literally, born just now. Born very recently, an infant that is anywhere from a few minutes to maybe a few days, at the most just a couple of three weeks old, is the picture that he has in mind to draw this analogy. And coupled with this small, tiny newborn babe, Peter links the idea of milk. And, of course, the two go together. Like the horse and the carriage, you can't hardly have one without the other. You're not going to have a babe long if you don't have the milk to feed the babe. They do very much go together. And so Peter is linking together newborn babes with their normal necessary food. If a newborn babe is going to live, if it's going to survive, it's got to have milk. Milk, the food that God has given for newborn babes, the perfect food to nourish and to sustain a newborn baby milk that which newborn babies desire instinctively they don't have to be taught to do that they go looking for it right away don't they and he's linking that with Christians babies desire physical milk Christians should desire spiritual milk and so the meaning of the analogy becomes clear. But we have to understand that Peter is not calling his reader, new, his readers newborn babes. He's not calling them new converts. That's the way our mind runs very quickly, and that's because of others, New Testament writers, who use the same terminology in a little bit different fashion. Close enough that it sounds like the same thing, but it's not exactly. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He's equating carnality, immaturity, with babiness. He says, I fed you with milk, and not with solid food, for until you, uh, for until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. So there's the same two figures, the baby and the milk, but they aren't used in exactly the same way. And if we don't understand that, we will not fully understand what Peter is telling us. Paul is likening immature Christians to babes, and he's likening milk to the simplest things from the Word of God. And he's basically saying you need to grow up and get out of your milk and start eating meat, the meat of the Word. That was Paul's use of this same analogy. The writer of Hebrews does something similar. He said in chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Same idea as in 1 Corinthians 3 with Paul. Babes are immature Christians. Milk is the simple elements of God's word, but you need to grow up and start eating meat. But that's not what Peter is saying, and that's why I take the time to make this contrast so that you will not confuse Peter's use of this analogy Because he's not using it that way. He's not chiding them for being milk Christians versus meat-eating Christians. But here's what he's saying. In the same way an infant intensely desires milk, so should all believers be desperate to receive spiritual nourishment. He's saying all Christians are to be like babies in this respect. As a baby... Is crazy to get that milk. So a believer ought to be intent on getting spiritual food. That's the analogy. Babes go after milk as if their life depends upon it, because it does. We've all seen that, haven't we, little babies? They wake up from their nap and they are in gear and they are desperate. They are desperate. Mommy can't get there fast enough until finally they get something in their mouth and begin to draw down that nourishment. And then they satisfy themselves and go back to sleep and repeat the same thing all over again. When they get up, one thing on their mind, one thing only. Gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. Get here quick, right now, quick, quick, quick. That's the idea. Christians are to desire the spiritual milk from God with just that same intensity of desire. Babies are looking for milk eagerly, frequently, singularly. That is, that's the one thing on their mind in those early days. And likewise, believers are to be looking for spiritual milk Eagerly, frequently, and singularly. And so we move from the analogy to the command. This is indeed a command. And the command is that we should desire the sincere or the pure milk of the word. Just like Peter's analogy might have been more clearly understood if he hadn't uh, abbreviated it. If he'd said something like this, the fuller analogy would sound something like this. As newborn babes desperately and intensely desire physical milk, so Christians are to intensely desire spiritual milk. If he'd drawn it all out that way, we would never have confused it. But that is what he's saying. As newborn babes intensely desire physical milk, so Christians are to desire spiritual food. It is a command. As newborn babes, not that you are newborn babes, but as in the way which they desire milk, like newborn babes desire their milk, you desire the sincere or pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The command is to desire. The word desire means to crave, to long for. It is an intense desire a recurring desire, an insatiable desire, a personal desire. This desire is vigorous craving for the milk of God's Word, and this vigorous craving is a sign of good health. If a baby isn't desperate for milk in the normal fashion, we know something's badly wrong. We know that. If a Christian isn't intensely craving spiritual food, we know that something's not right. That person is not in good spiritual health. And yet it is a little puzzling, isn't it, that Peter doesn't command us directly To take in the word of God. Though that really is what the final result will be. But he commands us to desire that. And think about that. How do you command a desire? You can command an action. But how do you command a desire? If you don't desire it as you should. Can you desire it by being commanded to? Instructed to? Told to? Why does Peter command us to desire God's word. Well, actually, this is not unique to Peter. We find things like this sprinkled all throughout the word of God, and there are reasons for it. And it's because a command like this, number one, shows us a need, and number two, it shows us a direction for the meeting of that need. First of all, to command us to desire God's word shows us a need. And it causes us to look to Christ for the fulfillment of that need. All Christians have some desire for God's word. You you do. If you are alive spiritually, then you have a, a desire for an intake of spiritual food. Because man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If you are spiritually alive in Christ, that spiritual life will have to be nourished. But if you don't desire God's word as intently as Peter suggests here that we should, then what do you do? Well, you look to Christ for help. You acknowledge that you've got a need, first of all. See, the the command to do something that you are finding difficult to obey shows you that you have a need, and that casts you back upon Christ for the meeting of that need. But it also shows you a direction. In other words, it shows you exactly where the fulfillment of that need can be met. You don't have a desire for God's Word as much as you should. All right, get into God's Word anyway, because the tasting of God's Word itself will augment the desire. How many times have you known someone, perhaps yourself, at times have said, I'm just not hungry, I don't want any food. And somebody coaxed you into taking a bite of something delicious, and then you ate the whole thing. Thought you didn't want anything. Ah, but when I tasted it, then I did. You don't have desire for God's word the way you should? Taste it. Put it in your mouth. Chew it. And you will find that the word itself will create its own desire. It's similar, I suppose, to the command to love. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Can anyone do that? That's a that's a command to do something that really none of us can do completely, but the fact that we may try and fail itself shows us our need, doesn't it? Something's wrong. Oh, Lord, what's wrong with me? Help me. Help me. Martin Luther, who struggled with that command, as I've told you several times, and came to the conclusion he couldn't keep it, and he said, Love God. I hate God. Being more honest than most people will ever be. In fact, understanding his own heart better than most people understand their own hearts. But when he was born again by the Spirit of God, everything changed, and now he loved the Lord, his God, but still not in in this world with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. But now he had a desire to. Now he wanted to. And guess what? I think now he is. He's in heaven. He's been removed from sin. He's with the Lord. He's able to have that desire fulfilled completely to love the Lord his God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. But if you know that you have a need to love God this way and you don't, love him that way, you're honest enough to say that you don't love him as much as that command requires, then what do you do? Well, you go to him and ask him for it. And by drawing close to him, both your desire and your ability are going to be ministered to. Or the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Another impossible command, I suppose. Very difficult to love anybody as much as we love ourselves. We don't have to be taught to love ourselves. We have to be taught to love others as much as we love ourselves. Loving ourselves comes easy. Loving others comes hard. So what do we do? Well, we obey what we know we should do, loving acts toward others. Like when Jesus said, love your enemies. Love my enemies? How can I do that? You can't command me to love somebody that emotionally I just can't love. Ah, but you can give them food if they're hungry. You can give them cold water if they're thirsty. You can pick them up off the side of the road if they've been beset by thieves And carry them on your your beast down to the inn and take care of their needs. You can do deeds of loving kindness to them. And you will find that as you do that emotionally you will be more sympathetic toward them than you were before. But there are certain aspects of the command that you can obey that in obeying them will help you to fulfill the desire. It's that way throughout all the word of God. And so when it comes to desiring God's word, number one, you're not going to desire it if you're not truly born again. But you can recognize your lack of desire as a signal of your need. I must not be saved. I must not be a new creature in Christ. I really don't have any spiritual appetite for the word of God. Something is badly wrong here. I must need to be saved regardless of what I've thought and regardless of what I have professed. And so the command will drive you to Christ for the fulfilling of the need. And then as a Christian, if you will go to the word of God obediently, even when your heart is not just drawn to it like a strong magnet, but you will obey the Lord, you will find that your desire will grow. So as newborn babes, desire Imperative, command, desire, the pure milk of God's word. Now let's notice the object of this command, what it is that Christians are to desire. It is the milk of the word. As it is translated in the King James, the New King James, a New American Standard Bible. But in the Greek, it is actually the word milk with two adjectives. The word word is not there. The Greek word for word is not there. A better, more literal translation would be pure spiritual milk. As newborn babes desire pure spiritual milk. In fact, I think in the word order, the spiritual comes first, but we'll keep that order for now. Pure spiritual milk. That's what Peter says we are to desire. The word milk with two adjectives to define it and describe it for us. The first one, pure, is the simplest one of the two. Pure means unmixed, uncontaminated, nothing added, nothing extracted. Milk, exactly as mother supplies it, with no alterations whatsoever. That's the kind of milk that babies most need. And that's the kind of spiritual food that we need. Food that is pure, unmixed, unadulterated, nothing added, nothing extracted. This tells us something of the nature of God's Word. As it comes to us from God, it is pure. It's the pure Word of God. It's it's the truth, the truth, all the truth. All of it is truth, maybe is a better way to put it. There is nothing in it that is not true. There's nothing in it that is not wholesome as it comes to us from God. However, sometimes as it is delivered to us, it's not so pure. Because many times it passes through the hands of others. It passes through the hands of teachers. It passes through the hands of authors. I could not tell you that if you go to any Christian bookstore today and pick up any book that has anything to say about the Bible, that you will will be guaranteed of getting the pure milk of God's word. As a matter of fact, I probably need to caution you that if you do it that way, probably nine times out of ten, you're going to get something that is not the pure milk of God's word. It has been changed, it has been altered, something something extraneous has been added, or something important has been extracted. But what we need is the pure spiritual milk. But secondly, is that word spiritual? What does that mean? Well, the Greek word is logikos. It's a compound word made up of logos, which is the word for word. And that may be why our translators used it, because they really are not. That's that's certainly legitimate. And then it has a suffix on it. And it's a difficult Greek word to translate for one reason, because it is used so rarely. In fact, the only other time that is used in the Bible is in Romans 12:1. And if you were with us when we went through Romans, you may remember how we struggled with this word then. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your logikos service, your reasonable service, your spiritual worship, your logical service. What is it? It's a Greek word that that really there is no one English word that is the equivalent. It's impossible to translate with one English word and be sure that you have gotten the meaning of the Greek word. It could simply mean figurative milk as opposed to literal or physical milk, and that might be the simplest explanation. As babies desire physical milk, so... Christians desire spiritual milk. Whatever it is, I'm convinced that it does refer to the word of God and there are a lot of reasons for that. One is the word itself, logikos. And many commentators believe that this does mean milk that has some connection to the word of God. Even though the simple word, word, isn't used, the adjective to describe it that is used is based upon a noun that derives itself from the same root word, lagos. And so it's very legitimate to translate it word. Furthermore, it's obvious that milk is suitable to the needs of the soul, that that God's word is suitable to the needs of the soul as milk is suitable to the needs of the soul of the baby the parallels are so obvious that it's hard to think of anything else also the context points in that direction remember back into chapter 1 peter said in verse 23 having been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of god which lives <coughs> excuse me and abides forever And there Peter told us that it is the Word of God that regenerates us, that the Holy Spirit uses to regenerate us. But it is the Word of God that creates life. God's Word is living. God's Word creates life. And now he seems to be following it up. By saying that same living word that created your spiritual life is also the living word that sustains your spiritual life. It's the same same word, the same object, the same power, the same means that God uses both to create his children as well as to sustain his children. The word of God. So we use the word of God in evangelism and we use the word of God to edify and build up God's children. It's the God's word through and through. And, of course, there are other texts that point in the same direction, such as Matthew 4.4 4, that I quoted earlier, when Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Same idea, only there Jesus likens the word of God to the bread that sustains an adult. Peter likens the word of God to the milk that sustains an infant. But same basic concept. And so our conclusion is that Peter is talking about a longing for God's word. Just like a baby is crazy to get a hold of milk, so Christians should be crazy to get a hold of God's word. Now, the details as to how we find the word of God to satisfy that need can vary somewhat. Americans instinctively, I think, first think of personal Bible reading, highly recommended. And I I think that's something that all of us should do. But just keep in mind that in Peter's day, hardly anybody had a copy of the Bible. They were too expensive. So most Christians couldn't read God's word on a daily basis for their personal devotions. You had to be a very wealthy person to afford even a portion of the Bible in those days when it was all written out by hand. So Peter could not have had that immediately in mind when he said this. We might also think of family worship, and again, a very important thing that I commend. I I don't see how a a Christian family could, could hope to rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord if they are neglecting reading God's Word and praying with their children in the home on a regular basis. I don't see how they could do that. But again, for many centuries, if people did not have copies of God's word, they weren't able to read God's word together. Whatever they did when they gathered together in family worship, and I trust they did, they would have had to quote scripture which they had memorized. They would have to sing the hymns which they had learned at church, which should be filled with scripture. They would have to do something else in order to impart God's word to their children and to gather around the word of God in the home, church attendance has been the one constant through all the centuries. Both in Peter's day, as well as in all the centuries up till the invention of the modern printing press and the eventual wide distribution of God's Word, church, the gathering of God's people, has been the one constant place where God's people have been able to come together to hear the Word of God. And no wonder, therefore, that the writer of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because if you forsake the, the assembling of yourselves together, you are going to be neglecting that spiritual food which is necessary to sustain your soul. That's one reason. Now, actually, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that there also are responsibilities to one another. You can't find any substitute for the assembly of the saints. You say, well, I'll read and study at home. Now we do have printing presses. Now we do have Bibles. Now we do have CDs and cassette tapes. Now we do have radio. I don't need the church. Yes, you do. You may not be quite as dependent upon it for an intake of God's word as most of God's people have down through the centuries, but you still need the church to fulfill what the Bible tells us is our responsibility to one another. You have to you can't neglect the assembly of the saints and come anywhere close to fulfilling your responsibility as a child of God. The church attendance, faithfully intaking the word of God. And if you have little desire for God's word, then something is desperately wrong. Something is out of place. Either you are no child of God or you are one sick Christian. Really sick. Now we come to a reason, and actually there are four, why why this command is given to desire God's milk, or God's Word, the milk of God's Word. Four reasons. Number one, in order to grow. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. The Word is. What grows God's children? That you may grow thereby. A Greek word that is used of the normal growth and development of a human child. The physical development of a child. And Peter now presses it into use as the growth and development of of God's children. The spiritual growth and development. That you may grow thereby. Actually, this phrase is passive. This verb is passive. This verb grow. And so it is literally that it may grow you. Desire the sincere milk of the word. Of the, I keep quoting it from the old King James. I can't get that out of my mind. It's one of those verses I have I have learned early in my life. And the original wording has, is what is impressed deeply in my mind. But you are to desire the pure, pure milk of God's word in order that you may grow, but more literally in order that it may grow you. It has a force of its own, a power of its own. When you take it in, it begins to do things within you. It will grow you. That's why you need to take it in. And we are to grow toward Christian maturity and perfection. Sometimes we find that word perfect in the Bible and we say, now that doesn't mean absolutely perfect, that means mature. Well, it really means both. depends on the context. But the goal is perfection. Again, something we'll never attain this side of eternity, but something we should always be striving toward. Our goal is Christ-like maturity, which is perfection. And this is why this instruction is not just for the new Christians, the the so-called babes in Christ... Because the most mature Christian among us has not yet arrived at Christ-like perfection. So we all need to grow. No matter where we are, we all need to grow. There is no such thing as arriving at maturity where I don't need to grow anymore. There is no such place on earth. You may be a mature Christian, relatively speaking, to other Christians, but you are still so far short of being remade in the image of Christ that in some ways it seems like you are just a little babe. And so I would suggest another analogy here, besides the one that Peter has used, as newborn babes desire their milk intensely, so Christians are to desire the word of God intensely. But here's another analogy. As mothers carefully examine their babies for signs of proper development, so we should be... Examining ourselves for signs of proper spiritual development. Are we developing? Are we growing? The way we should. Many seem to have no concern about that. And that too would be a sign of poor health, wouldn't it? But if we're going to be able to examine ourselves for signs of spiritual development we're going to have to know what we're looking for and there's only one way to know that an intake of god's word you're going to have to take god's word in and 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 absorb it at a pretty good level so you'll even know what to look for because a lot of christians don't they're they're so immature but they don't know it because they don't even know what it was what they're supposed to be like they're pretty much like their Christian friends and all of their Christian friends are at a pretty low level and nobody knows what a real real mature, growing, strong, spiritually minded Christian is supposed to look like so they're all just flopping around in the sandbox together and I'm afraid they're going to be there for a long time to come but we want to get beyond that, don't we get out of the waiting pool get out of the sandbox get off the swing set and get on to an ability to take responsibility, an ability to serve the Lord in effective ways, and an ability to make a difference for Christ's kingdom. And so one reason for taking in God's word is in order to grow. A second reason for taking in God's word is to demonstrate gratitude. And this moves us to verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious... As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And Peter is now quoting from Psalm 34, 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. He changes it just slightly for his own purposes, but he's referring to that text. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, the graciousness of the Lord, the grace of God... If you have tasted the grace of God, have you? If you have tasted the grace of God, then you will desire the sincere milk of God's word. Because you have known and tasted and experienced the kindness of God, you will want to draw Closer to him to experience more of his kindness is what this is saying. And you will be so grateful for the benefits that you have received. You will be so grateful for the blessings, the goodness that he has bestowed. And how did that come to you? Through his word. Through his word. What was it that saved you? What was it that regenerated you? What was it that God used to bring you Into living, vital union with Jesus Christ. It was the Word of God made living and real and powerful in your souls. Well, if having tasted the Lord through His Word, then don't you think, out of gratitude, you ought to give yourself to that Word more if He tells you to do that? Of course. And furthermore, a third reason is in order to pursue greater spiritual delight taste and see. John Piper has a lot of emphasis upon this, and it's a wonderful emphasis that there is delight in God, and we need to find that. If we we haven't found that yet, we're, we're not where we need to be. There is soul's delight in God beyond the delight that can be found anything within this world. Taste and see. Savor the enjoyment. Isn't it a joy to eat good food just to taste that exceptionally good whatever? I've had a several exceptionally good whatever's in the last few hours because it's birthday celebration. Isn't it a delight just to take something special, maybe something you deny yourself most of the time in order not to put on too much weight, but now's the time to, to celebrate a bit and indulge. Isn't it wonderful to just take that whatever? Because everybody has a different idea of what it is you consider most delightful and take that and just put it in your mouth and chew on it and savor it and taste it. Well, you can taste and see the Lord in that same way. Taste and see that the Lord is good, said the psalmist. The word Lord in Psalm 34.8 refers to Jehovah. Peter takes up that same text and says... If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And now the word Lord here obviously refers to Jesus Christ. Because verse 4 says coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by God. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious if you have come to him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is telling us that when Christians receive the word, they meet God personally in the word, in the person of Jesus Christ. Edmund Hebert said, and I quote, their eager appropriation of the milk of the word has brought them into direct contact with the Lord who gave the word. And Wayne Grudem said, and I quote, to hear scripture is to hear the Lord speak, to taste again and again what he is like. So why do we desire the milk of God's Word, in order to pursue greater spiritual delight. Having already sampled spiritual delight, having already tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious, we now have an appetite to taste more. And how are we going to do that? In His Word. In His Word. And that brings me to number four, which I've already touched upon. The fourth reason is in order to fellowship with your Lord. To fellowship with your Lord in His Word Now, we all know that accumulated knowledge alone does not guarantee personal fellowship with Christ. We've all known people who had an almost encyclopedic knowledge of God's Word and were far from Christ-like, didn't seem to have much personal fellowship with the Lord. However, that, that may be true. However, you cannot personally fellowship with Christ apart from His Word. Just learning God's Word academically is no guarantee that you are going to commune personally with Christ because you have to deal with sin. You have to apply God's word to your heart. If you're just taking it in his knowledge and not applying what it's teaching to your own situation, then you're not communing with the Lord. But the idea that you can fellowship with the Lord apart from his word is foreign to the Bible. And if you have any notion that you can somehow bypass an intake of God's Word and just get on some kind of plane of super fellowship with the Lord apart from the Word of God, you are wrong. You are deceived. You are, you are barking up the wrong tree. You're looking for something that does not exist. And whatever it is that you think you're experiencing when you're bypassing the Word of God to fellowship with Christ is not Christ. It's something else. There's no substitute for God's word, the Bible, to have close personal fellowship with the Lord. So that brings me quickly to two lessons. My first lesson is directed to preachers and churches, and the second lesson is directed to individual believers. To churches and preachers, this text tells us something about style of ministry and how it ought to be. It teaches us to focus on the faithful, careful teaching of God's Word as priority number one. And I don't need to tell you that I believe that expository preaching is usually the best kind of preaching for many reasons. It's not the only kind, and there may be times that it's wise to depart from it, but... That should be the main focus. Expository preaching is simply taking a text and explaining what it says and explaining what it means and explaining how it applies and just doing that over and over and over again. You can't do, do any better to intake God's Word than that. To preachers and churches, I say, don't lose confidence in the Word of God. You say, we're doing this this uh, old-fashioned, word-centered thing, and the church... Down the road is doing something different, and they're growing like crazy. We've got our dozens, our scores, they've got their hundreds and thousands. They must be doing something right. Not necessarily. I don't have time to analyze all that right now. But not necessarily. They may be catering to something else, as we'll see in a moment. But we take our instructions from the Bible, not from Bill Hybels, not from what's the guy out in California, Rick Warren. We take our instructions from the Bible, the Bible, focus on God's word. Don't lose confidence in God's word. It's a living force. Don't abandon God's word. Don't dumb down God's word. Don't be deceived by the seeker-friendly philosophy the felt needs philosophies. I wish I had more time to explain those right now. But I assure you that those are subtle attempts to put less emphasis upon the Word of God and to bring something else alongside the Word of God as being necessary in order to effectively reach people with truth. God's Word is what God has given. God's Word is what... Converts sinners, God's word is what builds up the saints. So God's word is what we focus on. My second lesson is to Christians. And just to remind you that you need to find a serious Bible teaching ministry. That's where you get your necessary food. Without it, you will not develop properly. Do not be deceived by attractive alternatives, of which there are many in our day. No matter how pleasing they may be, because the pleasingness of them may, in fact, if it's not on the word it undoubtedly is pleasing the flesh pleasing the old man it may be doing it in a wholesome pleasant manner it may be doing it in a religious church manner it may be doing it along in concert with hundreds of other professing christians and all of them delighting in it together but dear friends if it's not concentrating on the word of god it's going to be starving the new man starving the new man We need, more than anything else, the Word of God. And so I remind you that you bear a major responsibility for your own spiritual growth and development, and you will either obey or disobey this command. The consequences are great, and so we need to ask the Lord to help us to obey. Shall we pray? Oh, Lord, we are reminded again of the centrality of your Word And there are many, many enticements all around us in the Christian realm to try to get us to put less emphasis upon the word, to take the word in very small doses, as if somehow small doses will be more effective than larger doses. How foolish can we be? How easily our hearts are deceived. Lord, help us to believe your word and to make the intake of your word our most important priority in life. As we ask it now in Christ's name, amen.